I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, September 12th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So, Jay, if there's two things Elon Musk can't stop doing, it's taking over companies and having kids. The billionaire reveled that he secretly had a third child, his 10th overall with Canadian pop star Grimes. And the name, Jay, is, and I'm, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but I'll do my best, Tao Techno Mechanicus, which, yeah, that sounds about right for a child between Grimes and Elon. It's definitely a step up from the one that you can't pronounce at all. So I think that's progress. What do you think about the name, Jay? Is it? A step up from that? Was it XE12? It's like, at least I can read this. A couple of vowels in here. I feel like the other name is what's on. Have you seen Inter Miami shirts? Have a company, I think it's called XBTO. I yeah, thought that sure, was the yeah, name yeah. of Musk's other kid. I don't mean to make fun of the kid or the kid's name, but, you know, that's not a great name for it's a tough. kid. And I wouldn't name my kid that. It's just going to be embarrassing for that kid when it gets to some private school in Silicon Valley. Yeah. What about Max? Right. What about Max? It's a perfectly good name. Or even Mech. That's fine, too. But that's what they might go with, though. Like, after it's all said and done, he might just go as Mech. That's kind of cool. It's not bad. I also would shorten the name to TTM. That's like an okay name. Hey, maybe it's not that bad after all, Jay. Brett, aside from the name of Elon Musk's kids, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, just plain embarrassing. For our second story, Google faces its biggest antitrust threat yet. And for our last story, cigarettes and junk food have something in common. For our first story, Canada's delegation to the G20 summit is finally on its way back home after proving that in this country, no one is safe from flight delays. Brett, why was the prime minister delayed? So here's what happened. Prime Minister Trudeau and his whole squad spent two extra nights in New Delhi after a technical issue left the 36-year-old government-issued plane grounded, necessitating a rescue plane to be sent. Didn't Joe Biden have some extra spare room on Air Force One to help them out? You would think so. And actually, he went via Alaska to get home is what I heard. So it's not the first time Canada's aged fleet of Airbus jets have sputtered. Canadian delegations have been left on the ground in previous occasions in 2016 and 2019. And in July, the government announced that it signed a $3.6 billion deal with Airbus to replace its fleet with a mix of nine new and used jets. They are expected to come into service sometime this fall, though two of them will be lacking the PM's traditional VIP section. And it matters because just like the ongoing saga over what to do with the prime minister's decrepit official residence, plane mishaps are bad optics for Canada. No country is going to see an old plane as a reason not to work with Canada, but it's still not a great look, Brett. Canada's former ambassador to the UN, Louise Blaise, recently wrote in an op-ed that it's become accepted as a fact, even at Global Affairs Canada, that the country has lost influence on the world stage. I think it's because of the planes, Brett. I don't really know. But to zoom out. The takeoff trouble was an all-too-fitting end for Canada's rocky showing at the G20 summit. Coming off stalled trade talks, Trudeau and Indian Prime Minister Modi shared a super uncomfy meeting where Modi complained about Canada's handling of Sikh separatist protests, and Trudeau brought up Indian interference in Canadian affairs. For our second story, like any of us in our four of a Monopoly game, the U.S. government just wants to put an end to it all. Jay, how are they planning to do this? Well, Google heads to court today, kicking off the biggest U.S. antitrust case in the modern internet era. And the U.S. Department of Justice, well, what they're doing is alleging that Google has used what it describes as monopoly power to kill competition by paying billions of dollars to Apple and other companies to make its search engine the default of pretty much every device and browser. It's happening because Google has a 90% market share in the U.S. search, which the DOJ claims allows them to destroy rivals before they get big enough to threaten the search engine's dominance. 
The DOJ will likely argue in court that the scarcity of competition coupled with Google's lack of incentive to innovate has harmed consumers, a key criteria that U.S. courts have generally decided must be met for a company to lose an antitrust case. Now, Google says that its agreements with companies like Apple don't stop them from promoting competitor search engines, arguing that its search tool is simply chosen to be the default because it offers, quote unquote, highest quality for users. And it matters because Google became a $1.3 trillion empire by positioning itself as the place to go for answers on the internet. If the company loses the case, and with it the status of the default search engine on the world's most used devices and browsers, it will have lost a critical edge over competitors. And let's zoom out one more time. A win by the DOJ against Google will also set a precedent for tougher antitrust enforcement in the future, which would ripple across the rest of the tech sector. And for our third and final story, you all already know that tobacco companies were responsible for one major global health crisis. But what if we told you they were actually responsible for two major global health crises? Yeah, here's what's driving the news, Jay. So a new study published in the journal Addictions blames the rise of junk food in North America on brands that were once owned by tobacco companies. Tobacco companies were forced to divest from the U.S. food industry in the 2000s, but titans of snacking Kraft General, think Kool-Aid and Jell-O, and Nabisco, think Oreo and Ritz, were once owned by cigarette merchants. As anyone who has read the great business thriller Barbarians at the Gate will know. Now, the study found that between 1988 and 2001, foods from tobacco-owned companies were as much as 80% more likely to be hyper-palatable, i.e., loaded with a mix of additives like sodium and carbs that trick the body into eating more than it actually wants makes them addictive. The study concluded that these foods, created by companies that knew a thing or two about making addictive products, were ultimately, quote-unquote, designed to maximize public consumption at great risk to public health. And this all matters because, thanks in part to big tobacco, junk foods are now more readily available than fresh foods. This has directly contributed to spikes in heart disease, stroke, and obesity, an affliction that affects over 1.1 billion people and saps more than 2% from global GDP. Now here in Canada, nearly two-thirds of adults are overweight or suffer from obesity, while an estimated 1 in 10 premature deaths among those aged 20 to 64 are directly linked to the disease. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readpeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a great Tuesday, Peak Pals. 